Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Days turn right into the weekend. It is time for week three Hayden Winks game by game preview show. Every single fantasy relevant matchup that matters, we'll hit on those. And most importantly, there's been some late breaking injury news. This is why we do our game previews on Friday because I think a lot of these injuries that we hit on late with Friday practices can shape the way how these fantasy matchups will play out on Sunday. When people are doing their preview shoes on freaking Wednesdays now, like they have no idea who's playing. So what's the point? Okay. As you know, we go through the one o'clock, the four o'clock and the eight o'clock games. We'll also be here on Sunday mornings to answer all of your start sit questions. That starts at 1030 Eastern in the morning, very early with ham and cheese croissant with Hayden on the West Coast. If you want to jump that line, leave a voicemail message that is linked in the description down below. They've been electric in the first two weeks, I'm expecting them to be fantastic here in week three, less than 60 seconds. And then we have our instant reaction shows with John Daigle around 7.30 Eastern on Sunday as well. Okay, one o'clock, four o'clock, eight o'clock. We let loose. We're buttoned up all week long and we let loose and let the takes fly here in this show. And we'll start off where all the other previous shows start off this week. And that's 2-0 and versus 2-0. and the Buffalo Bills are six-point favorites against the Miami Dolphins, a total of 52-and-a-half. This is some of the injury news, Hayden, I was alluding to. Defensive tackle for the Bills, Jordan Phillips, out. Dane Jackson, starting quarterback, out. Micah Hyde, safety, out. Jordan Poirier, status, up in the air, other safety, out. So the big question, when talking about this game of the Dolphins and offensively what they put up last week against the Ravens, and eh, probably couldn't do that against the Buffalo Bills, I think some nuance is needed now because of all the communication breakdowns that happened against Baltimore last week. That seems like it's a bit more likely to happen if it will against the bills this weekend too. Yeah, they, I mean, the bills are going to be played cover two and that's not usually the Ravens MO going back to last week. So this will be another challenge for the dolphins. And I'm very curious to see how this game uh, lines up because of that. Like you said, there is lots of injury uh, news on the Buffalo side of the ball by still being such a well-coached union. They're pretty deep uh, up front too. So I think that this will be a challenge for the Dolphins, but I think that they'll, they'll be ready for it. Just reviewing last week's game, the fullback usage, the personnel usage is oh, just so multiple. They can kind of win in a bunch of different ways right now. Uh, most of it is coming through the air, their fifth and neutral pass rate, which is I think one of the bigger surprises uh, of the 2022 season. Yeah, just 17% of Miami's yardage this season has been on the ground, has been in rushing. Uh, what I keep coming back to, obviously, we outlined the short out and up from Jalen Waddle in the slot. It's, you know, the creativity from not only what we got from Tyree Kill in week one, uh, but also the usage in, in week two. But 60% of the team's targets so far through two games have been funneled between Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Think about that. For how often... Tua is throwing the football, how often the Dolphins are successful with it. We are going to preview a bunch of these teams being like, oh, maybe this is the week that this player gets more volume. Mike yeah. McDaniel is putting 
the ball in his best player's hands on a down in, down out, drive in and drive out. And he's only been coaching for two games. Yeah. You know, I'm excited to see what the wrinkles are going to be as we go along too against the defense and the Buffalo Bills that, you know, took out the Rams offense in week one, a yeah. Super Bowl caliber offense. And then we're up what, like 41 to seven in week two. They're going to have different pieces, but they're supremely well coached and fly the football and tackle so well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all the cover two stuff. Going back to the uh, 60% targets to those two, it's because the Dolphins are first in 21 personnel. They're out. They're using Alec Engel, their, their fullback, in a bunch of different ways. But like we said, we've talked about this on the podcast for a long time. When there's only two wide receivers in the route, it's much easier to get the damn ball instead of. 11 personnel and right now the Dolphins are using a lot of two wide receiver sets some one wide receiver sets so it's the ball is going to continue being funneled and to them yeah what they're doing so with Alva Engel too is they're making him a weapon you know yeah. it's not just like having the standard traditional fullback that yeah, you then motion out and like hopefully yeah. just occupy someone with a neck roll you right. know the dude did an orbit motion a yo-yo motion mm-hmm. and then got the football on a yeah. pass route that was designed for him and then he's also as you outlined making blocks 20, 30 yards down the field to spring these, these bigger plays too. Um, and then you have a chase Edmonds who's has receiving capacity and Raheem Mostert, who has great straight line speed and motioning them out and doing those things just quickly. Like, I don't think tool was even good in the first half of last week. It was almost the quote unquote, more of the same that we saw in that week one that I got a little frustrated with new England in order for this team to like be truly great and conquer arguably the best team and maybe inarguably the best team in the league with the Buffalo Bills, I think he has to have like four really strong quarters. I know how great he has been in the past in the fourth, but either we find out early on that the Bills defense is disintegrated a bit by these injuries, or I think we see a bit more of that Tyreek Hill usage from week one that was more of those manufactured touchers, touches near the line of scrimmage. But then on top of that, it's Hill and it's Waddle, who, as we saw, can take one pass, cut through a secondary, cut through a defense, and turn that into a big play, too. I like the over in this game. Looking at just the neutral pass rates right now, Bills and Dolphins, both top six. And there's also some injuries on the back half for the Dolphins side as well. Byron Jones has been on injured reserve. That's our cornerback, two, The cornerback, one. Xavier Howard's missed some practice times. He's probably going to be questionable to play this week. Um, so it really just comes down to what the Bills offense, what their injuries end up being. Right now we have Gabe Davis been limited in practice. Same thing with Dawson Knox. We'll have to figure out um, probably on the Sunday morning show whether or not they're going to be playing. Okay. I do want to outline that Bills offense too because Stefan Diggs has obviously been getting there. I want to bring up the risk team, the pick em lobby that people can go out there and look at. Yes, Gabriel Davis missed last week. Right now, it's higher lowers at 51 and a half receiving yards. If Gabriel Davis plays in this game against the Miami Dolphins with Savian Howard and the big plays that they allowed last week, Gabriel Davis is going to hit that higher of 51 and a half receiving yards. Um, we know Stefan Diggs is going to get home. Josh Allen at this moment is playing insane football along with Ken Dorsey's play calling. He can be quick. He can move coverages. He can extend plays. He can win on the ground. It's unguardable at this situation. And Hayden, I don't know, despite how much has been invested in this Dolphins team, if they have like those one or two players that can like totally shut down a drive or no hold down what the Bills have. And 
honestly, probably no one in the league does after what this Bills coaching staff to me was so impressive of keeping Dawson Knox in the blocking scheme that they had in week one to stunt and slow down the best defensive player in the league in, in Aaron Donald. So I don't know if anyone's really going to be able to do it. Nope, I don't think so. Uh, just looking at the rushing game for the Bills, uh, back here in this bad quadrant, bad O versus good defense so far. The Bills have not been able to run the ball very effectively, and it's been a rotation. I don't think that you should be starting any of the Bills running backs right now. It just comes down to, is Gabe Davis going to be out there? And if he's not, then Jake Kumro becomes a near full-time player. Isaiah McKenzie and Jameson Crowder are going to be playing in the slot. I do think if just because the Dolphins play so much man coverage, maybe this becomes more of an Isaiah McKenzie game versus Jameson Crowder, but that's more mm-hmm. of a, if you're just looking for higher lowers or if you're playing some DFS, he's not really a redraft guy right now. Does sound like Ed Oliver might be back for the Bills defense. I, I do want to bring this up after what everyone saw last week with the Ravens. The Bills defense has only allowed 12 completions of 20 plus yards since the start of last season. Let me bring that up. After what we saw last week of the Dolphins hitting five or six of those plays, the Bills defense has only allowed 12 completions of 20 plus yards. Robert Mays mentioned that on the athletic football show. But again, miscommunications happen. They happen even more so when defenses, even if they've been practicing together for years and years and years, when new pieces get involved, the Kyrie Elam taking more snaps, another rookie taking more snaps, right? Like that might happen. And if it does, we saw the Dolphins take advantage of it last week. I can't wait for that. Six is a lot of points, but it's tough to have anyone with a few, even on the road, fewer points spread than six against the Buffalo Bills, despite all these defensive injuries they have at the moment. I'm even seeing Jordan Jordan Phillips who had a hell of a first and second oh, yes. game. He's he's out too. I mean, yep. I just like I think I just like the over in this game in general. I like that. 52 and a half. There we go. Next up, Lions at Vikings. Another great one. Another huge total of 52 and a half with the Minnesota Vikings. Six point favorites here at home. Both teams are one and one right now. The Lions have opened with back to back 35 plus point games. And hey, I don't think Jared Goff has played all that well. Like, sure, he is hitting Amon Ross St. Brown. He's connecting on a lot of these passes and allowing that DeAndre Swift to create after the catch. But there were a couple plays last week to DJ Chark, namely, that were a couple feet or yards away. I'm not saying that as a negative per se. I'm saying that even with these offensive line injuries, this team is still putting up a boatload of points. And this should be one of the more electric contests that we've had. And think about saying that about the Detroit Lions a couple years ago and a Mike Zimmer-led Minnesota Vikings team just last season. Yeah, right now, the, the we'll get to the Vikings next, but they have the highest implied team total of the week, and I think that the Lions could keep pace on their side of the ball, too, especially the Vikings right now. Andrew Booth, he hasn't practiced. That's their corner. Harrison Smith hasn't practiced this week uh, either. Um, I think this could be kind of a balanced attack for the Lions. Uh, they're already re- pretty balanced in the first place, uh, 40% neutral pass rate right now, but the Vikings play with the lightest box rate in the NFL. There are lots of two high shells. You can run the ball typically on those. So we're, I'm very curious to see if the Vikings are going to make an adjustment or if they're going to let the lions be able to run the ball. That would be pretty good for Deandre Swift, who uh, doesn't have the full bell cow workload, but has been so efficient. These gap runs for the lions have been so effective and, DeAndre Swift, even though that he's been subbed out at the goal end a couple of times, has been so explosive. It really hasn't even mattered for his production. So I think this is a good matchup for the Lions. And we know that the Vikings are projected to score a bunch of points. So this is a great game for fantasy. Yeah. So I think in your tiers show that we did, did we lose Josh, Vikings, folks. No, we've lost you, Hayden. We've lost you. Um, I think in your tier show, we outlined that DeAndre Swift 
uh, is dealing with a foot or ankle issue. He's still hobbling late in practice. Jamal Williams, though, because of the total in this one, uh, always has that touchdown upside. Uh, what I just love about the Lions is the demeanor that they play with. And as weird and as narrative-based as that might sound, when you have a bunch of former players on the coaching staff, you get the ball back with like 50 seconds way deep in your own territory. You go three straight passing plays with two deep shots. Like, I love that shit that the Lions are bringing to the table. That's with backups, you know? Now, on the other end, the Vikings have some players defensively. You know, I understand Patrick Peterson's a 1,000 years old. But Zadarius Smith and Donnell Hunter, if they are able to go through that first wave of offensive linemen, the front five that is still a bit patchwork with Jonah Jackson missing some time right now. And we know Big V, I think, is on IR. um, They are the type of duo that can disrupt someone like Jared Goff. At the same time, again, we haven't had to have these perfect Jared Goff performances for the Lions to to put up a a ton of points. I do want to mention like the the straight games where Amon Ross St. Brown has had eight catches. The risk team only has him projected for 71 and a half receiving yards and a total of 52 and a half. 71 and a half is, you know, a high number. Is it high enough for what he might be able to do here? Probably not. Yeah, Probably I, not. The, the secondary is all banged up for the Vikings right now. Six and a half receiving yards. He had two 36 and a half receiving yard receptions, DJ Chark, last week that just went through his fingertips. So we might just need one of those. Okay, the Vikings might be even more interesting to talk about here because in week one, Hayden, they were awesome. They had the Packers on skates, who's a really talented Packers defense. Then in week two on Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football, whatever it was, we know that Kirk Cousins just shit the bed. Um, What do you expect this week against a Lions defense that has had some pieces in that Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks last week, arguable if they were all by his account, too. Uh, and Aiden Hutchinson has missed some time. Like I said, the Vikings are projected for the first or uh, the most points this week. So you have to be starting uh, everyone. The debate kind of is between like Adam Thielen and Irv Smith. I think that if you're doing tiebreakers, I think this is a week to go inside uh, for those two. Um, I do have a note from SIS right now. The Lions are blitzing at the second highest rate in the NFL. And then last year, Kirk Cousins was fourth an EPA per pass attempt against the blitz. So if they are going to be blitzing, I'm not sure if that's the right move. Um, those are the trends right now, but Justin Jefferson could hang 150 yards and a couple touchdowns. No problem this week. Uh, line secondary is not uh, very good right now. Could Dalvin cook hang 150 yards in sure. this game? Sure. Can pick a lobby 102 and a half rushing plus receiving yards while the lines play with toughness. Aiden Hutchinson, a few other pieces are pretty good run defenders. This is to me the type of outcome. And again, the the type of points projection that we should have a huge Dalvin cook game, which we haven't had really so far. I mean, what in the first contest he had 12, 15 carries for 80 yards, something like that. Yeah. 20 carries for 90 yards against green Bay. I would expect over hundred total yards for Dalvin cook in this game. Yep. It lines up for me 100% in that way. Some of the chat was wondering what I meant by a hobbled Deandre Swift taking it literally word for word from Dave Perquette, a hobbled DeAndre Swift took part in the open portion of Lions practice. That was today on Friday. So he's just not 100%. That's what I'm saying. He's going to play in this game. Last week, he wasn't 100% either. He had a monstrous game, but because of that lack of pure 100% health, almost certainly Jamal Williams hangs on to that, to that goal line role. Okay. Ravens at Patriots. 
Ravens three point favorites on the road, total 43 and a half. Both are one on one. Hayden, the Patriots have gone back to like being boring. You know, what do they have to do to, to be interesting in this contest? Because what the Dolphins comeback made us overlook last week was how awesome their offense was in that first three quarters of last week's game. Yeah, the Patriots better be able to pass the ball against the Ravens right now. Their secondary is still banged up. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, uh, Brandon Stevens are all battling through their own injuries. And obviously they have their their other starting quarterback on uh, injured reserve. So they have to be able to pass the ball here. I think the good news is uh, for the running backs, there was basically no running back three. There was only three snaps on offense from a running back three. So that just means Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson are splitting this backfield. It seems like Ramondre Stevenson, maybe a few more passing down snaps, but Damian Harris is the more trusted between uh, the tackles rusher at this point. So uh, injury thing to look look for is Jacoby Myers in practice early in the week. It seems like he's questionable to play. Uh, they did get Kendrick Bourne more involved last week, and I thought he added a little bit of juice uh, a little more athleticism, which this offense definitely needs. Uh, but if that's the case, that means it's going to be harder for Nelson Aguilar, Devontae Parker, all those secondary options to really matter. But right now, Mac Jones just has to play better, trust his offensive line, and they have the secondary to, if they can win some isolated matchups to actually move the ball, we'll see if they can do it. At the same time, those coverage busts that we saw last weekend, I don't know if the Patriots have the pieces to take advantage of those in terms of downfield playmakers, right? Um, I want them to be back to boring. I want them to be back to like their bully style. You know, like when they ran with power, there's a section of last week's game. I felt they looked their best up like 17 to 14 with four minutes left. There's that second down conversion by Ramondre Stevenson, then a chunk gain right after that by Damian Harris, another 10 yard run by Damian Harris and a six yard gain on third and three by Damian when he hurt his knee on one of those final snaps. And then that turned into a game over like that four to five play sample was to me the best this offense has looked through two weeks And it's because they got back to where they were successful in the previous season. Like, I feel like they've been trying to implement too much stuff with maybe not the right amount of coaching. And I don't know, I'm not behind the scenes, but like this outside zone edge runs, like let's get over it. You know, let's stop playing little Jordan Humphrey, more snaps than Kendrick Bourne, but like, let's get back to the basics here and allow Mac Jones to have good placement off of play action and use the two headed backfield of, Damian Harris or Andre Stevenson. And I don't know if that's going to be successful though, against a Ravens defensive front where they might lack some juice and numbers, but they definitely have bulk to stop a bunch of rushing attacks. And we saw that again last week against the Dolphins. Yep. Uh, onto the Ravens side of the ball, really interesting offense right now. They're fourth in neutral pass rate. They've only had uh, 12 snaps in total in 11 personnel And that is a great combination for Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman. They're not using basically any other players in this offense. And pretty miraculously, this offensive line is second in blown block rate, which means that they're not giving up any uh, runs or passes where there's a, a free rusher. And that's without Ronnie Stanley, which was super impressive for the Ravens. It shows how well coached they are in general. So, uh, the Patriots defense, uh, Kyle Duggar hasn't been practicing much. It seems like he's going to be a game time decision. Uh, but really, I just have a lot of faith in Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson. It seems like everything about this offense is pass first because they're running backs. I'm not expecting J.K. Dobbins to play this week. Just aren't very good. I think the Kyle Duggar injury is incredibly important for stopping someone like Mark Andrews. You know, we talk about every single week when discussing the Patriots in a lot of ways, they're a slow defense. They love to thump. They love to get downhill. They love to be bullies on that side of the ball. 
Uh, now you have an offense that doesn't care about you stopping their run anymore because they know it sucks. And they have Rashad Bateman, who ran incredibly well last week and created big plays on his own. And you have Mark Andrews, who is among the top two in opportunities at the position from here for the rest of the season. You know, uh, I think Isaiah likely was limited and maybe that changes a little bit of their personnel groupings. But at the same time, they also have two to three other tight ends that they can throw in there and run the exact same things with them too. So Lamar Jackson pretty much always gives Bill Belichick fits in the yeah. recent games that I remember. And he's just playing at too high of a level right now that unless he gets confused by a Bill Belichick, Steve Belichick defense, I don't see how they slow him down and just 218 and a half passing yards for his higher or lower in the pick and lobby right now. Again, it's a total of 43 and a half. The Ravens favored by three. If that holds, if that hits, Lamar Jackson is going to go over that number. I also want to point out that the Patriots are still running single high coverage, a lot, a lot of cover one, some cover three stuff. And if Rashad Bateman looked as good and could beat single high coverages of one-on-one isolated again, this is a matchup that could be in his favor. Uh, we're, we're the Patriots have been playing pretty good defense in general, yeah. but they don't have as many stars in the back back half yeah. of things. So I think that Rashad Bateman, I'm just hoping he plays more. Like even like last week, he went off. He's still only out there for like 71% of the routes. I hope we can get him going a little bit more right now. His usage isn't very good, but he's been so damn efficient. He looks so good on tape. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going to be willing to, to bet on him uh, in this matchup. And something else that was overlooked last week was that Lamar against zero blitz is not freaking out anymore. Like yeah. because of the offensive line that you mentioned and because of the hot reads that he had to Rashad Bateman and there was another over route that he hit later on for another big play. Like that question from what we had from last year that gave him so many fits and ruined games has been answered. You yeah. know, like there's no clear weakness of what we saw such a downfall of this offense last season that I, I think that's a huge step in the cap of uh, of Lamar Jackson. I didn't want to bring this up because while Harbaugh is like still non-committal about J.K. Dobbins playing, a lot of people where they drafted J.K. Dobbins are wondering if he plays, should they play him? I think no. you and I would immediately answer absolutely not in this case. Yeah, it's not going to be a good season for Dobbins. Like we just have to see what he looks like on the field before even trusting him as a flex play yeah. to start off. I think, I think the Ravens are dead last in running back usage. And they, yeah, they've been awful. bottom five quietly for like the last couple of years. They don't pass the ball to the running backs. It's hard to score fantasy points when Lamar Jackson's taking the goal line carries and isn't passing the ball to them. Chiefs at Colts. I can't wait to talk about this game, even though the Colts are absolute dog shit. But the five and a half point favored Kansas City Chiefs are also 2-0 and with a total of 50 and a half travel to the lovely city of Indianapolis. The only question... I have about this game. How will Patrick Mahomes and this offense eviscerate a Gus Bradley defense? Because Matt Eberflus departed the Colts defense this summer to go take over for the lowly Chicago Bears. In steps Gus Bradley, who has a history against Patrick Mahomes, especially last year against the Las Vegas Raiders, a dude that is stuck in his very traditional single high or cover three ways. And Patrick Mahomes feasts on that each and every year. Yeah, this chart just shows you this week the Bills and the and the Chiefs are by themselves in the eruption spot category when it comes to passing matchups, and it's the reason why, uh, like you just said, it's the cover cover one, cover three stuff that Gus Bradley does. Right now, the Colts are second in middle of the field close coverage, which are primarily cover one, cover three looks, and they're thirtieth in success rate on those snaps per SIS. And then last year, Patrick Mahomes 
was third in success rate versus single high, not just against Gus Bradley, but against all these types of defenses, the perfect matchup for him. And can I just outline what those performances were against this defensive mm-hmm. coordinator? 41 to 14 in week 10 against the Raiders. Patrick Mahomes went 35 of 50 for 406 yards and five touchdowns. Then you travel down just a few weeks later in week 14. So Gus Bradley, if he wanted to, could have changed his defense in any way. He did not. They won 48 to nine, the Chiefs did, by Patrick Mahomes going 20 of 24 for 258 and two touchdowns and exiting the game. You know, like, so if we think Patrick Mahomes is going to go nuclear here, Hayden, what we regrettably have seen over the last few weeks was Juju going for three for 10, Marquez Valdez-Scantling going two for 13, Justin Watson going two for 50 and one score, Miko Hardman three for 49. Again, if we get one of those three to five touchdown performances with 300, 400 passing yards from Patrick Mahomes, multiple of these pieces are going to get home. So who is it? I mean, on paper, this would be an MVS game. Like, this is definitely a better and best Please. ball type of player. But uh, this, this, I mean, this would be like the deep threat cover one stuff, throw the ball downfield. This would be lining up to MVS. But like you said, there is a rotation. Right now, the Chiefs are top six in their usage in 12 personnel, in 13 personnel, and in 22 personnel. They're using lots of tight ends. They're using a fullback. They're using both McKinnon and uh, Clyde Edwards Lair on the, the same uh, plays. They, they just said that Sky Moore is going to play more than two snaps. That could mean three. That could mean 14. Who knows? But I think that would come at the expense of McCole Hardman. So this is going to be maybe a better and best ball type of uh, team at wide receiver just because they have so many guys involved here. But like you said, the Chiefs are going to be moving the ball. Like there's there's no question about that. Shaq Leonard's still out for the Colts. And then Yannick Ngakwe was on mm-hmm. the practice report uh, earlier this week too. If they can't win on the edge with Yannick Ngakwe, they have no chance. So I'm pulling up the practice reports. Shaq Leonard got in a full practice and a full practice this week. That's what happened last week. He's just like not ready yet. Fully fit for game action. Yeah, interesting. Um, Miko Hardman is the only one of merit who has been limited in practice this week. Um, Maybe if he sits, then we get not just Justin Watson, who played last week and hit that one shot when Miko stepped out with that heel injury. But that was kind of the role that we expected for Sky Moore. Anyways, what we mostly say about this team is that it's Juju and MVS and two wide receiver sets. And when they get near the goal line, it's so much creativity from Andy Reid. It's been, we get these questions every single week. Well, who's taking the goal line touches for the Chiefs? And there's not one clear player because that's, this is where like the creativity of Andy Reid comes out when they go three tight ends, have huge bodies up there. Patrick Mahomes holds on to the last millisecond and then throws it to where only the tight end can get to it. Or they motion CEH in there and do underhand shovel passes or do that Jarek McKinnon, hey, let's do a screen pass near the goal line and, and you have a score. Again, if you have Patrick Mahomes, good luck to you. This is going to be fantastic. You're going to put up massive points. I am leaning on either Juju having an incredible week or MVS having 75 plus yards. So because of all this, I know he's not viewed as a vertical receiver in his past. But I'm going with Juju Smith-Schuster as my Benji of the week. I'm rich. Fair, La- like I, yeah. I think, I think he's getting more just outside pure wide receiver work, and not just the short to intermediate wide receiver we've seen in his past too. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. Uh, just through the first two weeks, the routes: MVS 83%, Juju 80%, McCole Hardman 59%, Watson 20. And then Sky Moore at 8%. So it is Juju and MVS still. It's who's going to make the big play. 
I also think that there's just like a bit of a wrong narrative of the Chiefs wide receivers right now. Like people saying they stink, they suck, yada, yada, yada. One, they're not Tyree Kill, but just the style of the offense is different. Like the style and totality of the offense has been really good. I've said this before. I don't think that the Chiefs wide receivers are doing anything incorrectly to lose their opportunities at this moment. And this is just the type of defense. you. It's so drastically different than the last time we saw this team on the field against the L.A. Chargers and Brandon Staley versus this defense at Gus Bradley. It is complete night and day difference, and we're going to see big plays against this defense because this is the type of thing that the Chiefs used to take advantage of in the past. Then everyone shifted to prevent these big plays, not Gus Bradley. Okay. Colt side of this. Michael Pittman is back in our lives, right, Hayden? He's ready to go. He got in some limited practices. Also, Alec Pierce is practicing in full, returning from his concussion. Uh, the issue right now with the Colts is they haven't looked good. They're dead last in neutral pace. Um, and the Chiefs this week, they're, uh, they've been 30th in single high usage, 5th in two high shell defenses. I'm expecting a lot of checkdowns here. I think they're going to try to get Jonathan Taylor rushing, especially if the Chiefs stay in these two high shells right now, the Colts are seventh in run rate against these light boxes. So you're going to get tons of Jonathan Taylor early teams historically against this chiefs defense have tried to run the ball, but if they can't, or if you know, the chiefs are up by 14 points, I think this is a week where Michael Pittman could have a lot of targets underneath here, um, especially in garbage time. So uh, I was kind of surprised to see that the Colts were only like, they're not even like what five and a half, six and a half point spread. I was surprised it was only that small, uh, but I think Michael Pittman, this would be a good week for him individually. Also for the Colts, we know you're playing Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Willie Gay, the starting linebacker for the Chiefs, has been suspended for four games. He's their fastest linebacker. That might come into play here. I do want to throw out that Alec Pierce is returning in this contest too. It's not just Michael Pittman. Uh, Alec Pierce was out there a whole bunch before, uh, during obviously preseason work, training camp. The opportunity is there. Hopefully he can get it going because the Colts need something. You know, we saw in week one, Michael Pittman can continue to win in isolation. But for this team that is 0-1-1, not technically 0-2, but they look like an awful, awful team. I think Alec Pierce is going to have to start making plays because they realized and they failed to use Naeem Hines in anything creative outside that first drive since he played only just 15 snaps last week. Okay. Eagles at Commanders up next. Maybe other than the Bills, like the best looking 2-0 team in the league in the Philadelphia Eagles. They're six and a half point favorites here against the Commanders. Total of 47. Carson Wentz versus Jalen Hurts. Hayden, how's it going to play out? Start on one side of the ball. Yeah, Eagles uh, starts up front. They are leading the NFL in sports info solutions, blown block rate. They aren't giving up any pressures at all. It's actually ridiculous. Like Jason Kelsey is so much fun to to watch too. Um, but really, it's a great matchup for Jalen Hurts individually. Uh, right now, the Commanders are fourth in blitz rate, and last year the Eagles were fifth against cover zero, cover one looks. Lots of isolated uh, coverage opportunities this week for Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown specifically. I think Washington's defense, while they are good up front, even without Chase Young, the secondary still has so many miscommunication issues. so frustrating to watch them. But the Eagles right now look awesome, and they've been passing the ball. It is a it is a pass-first team, yeah. uh, and Jalen Hurts is looked like a developed player himself throwing the ball inside the pocket, on time, over the middle, if that's the case, this Eagles team is going to be electric for fantasy purposes. And I think there's a chance that Jalen Hurts could compete 
for quarterback two overall, uh, only trailing Josh Allen. There were real questions about Jalen Hurts entering this season in terms of middle of the field and left side of the field, completing passes. And, you know, they switched their offense and team style after seven games of last season. It's all working through the first two weeks. You know, we outlined it in stats versus film. They heavily targeted the left side of the field and deeper portions of the middle of the field. And Jalen Hurts answered those questions. That allowed us to have Devontae Smith involved last week, right? Those 80 yards because he wasn't just attached to a sideline. We know that A.J. Brown always can thrive over the middle of the field. And most importantly, when you talk about the Eagles offense, the weak link in this entire matchup is Jack Del Rio and his defense. Like, Jack Del Rio sucks, man. Like, this team probably doesn't want to play for Jack Del Rio just watching it from afar because exactly what's happening last season is happening this season where they, like, can't get off the field on third down. So when your running game clicks to the degree you want it to, when the passing offense has clicked immediately out of the gate, when even if something happens with your blown blocks, you have Jalen Hurts who can either scramble up the middle or get to the edge and have the game slow down for him and create first downs. Like there's a lot of positivity in Washington's offensive end, despite questions that entered there. The defense has not been good from the sum of its parts. And that is terrifying facing this well-oiled machine that the Eagles look like through two weeks. And good matchup for Miles Sanders, too. He's been the running back 22 in usage, RB13 actual uh, half PPR points. But looking up at the rushing matchups chart right now, the Lions and the Eagles have the best matchups this week on the ground. So uh, definitely a week to be starting Miles Sanders as an RB2. In addition to your clearly starting uh, Dallas Goddard, AJ uh, Brown, and then Devonta Smith, I think, is like kind of in that flex territory after last week got more involved. I still think that he's going to be running more of the difficult routes and probably going to be the second or third option. But uh, I think that he is a flex play just because the Eagles are projected for like 27 points. Okay, let's flip it. Let's talk about the commanders now. The trebuchet is dealing in some situations. Last week with Scott Turner, we have seen, and really through two weeks and in previous seasons too, just awesome play calling. And I think it's really evidenced by the big plays and short plays that they're able to create in both environments. Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson are both top five in dot, average depth of target among all wide receivers. Meanwhile, Curtis Samuel is bottom five. So you have like kind of not check down per se, because a lot of those Curtis Samuel plays are designed specifically for him. Right. But in some ways, the same moniker as check down or touchdown to check down, right? Yep. And if the trebuchet is able to plant his feet and uncork these passes down the field and outside the numbers, then you have wide receivers that can take credit for it and account for big plays. However, it's against a Philadelphia Eagles defensive line that is pretty damn loaded and a secondary that's pretty damn loaded as well. Super important note about the A dots where John Dotson, and Terry McLaurin way downfield than Curtis Samuel option route, swing passes, all that fun stuff. Right now, the commanders are third in play action, six in screens, six in RPOs. They're only using 11 personnel. It's a very fun, creative offense, but that's really important for this week's matchup. In particular, the Eagles are first in middle field open mofo coverage. Two high shells. If if we're looking at a Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin running into those safeties, underneath is going to be Curtis Samuel, right? Yep. Like this is like the perfect matchup for them, especially if the Eagles are going to continue to play fast. Uh, the, the commanders are also playing fast here. I think this is a week to definitely start Curtis Samuel. I love it. And your tier show that uh, we kind of did together. Um, Curtis Samuel was ranked ahead of Terry McLaurin 
there. And he's like the first player that on waiver wires now in your head, you're thinking, oh, is this my wide receiver two right now? And for the rest of the season until something changes, basically, yes. Like the usage indicates this. If Scott Turner wants Curtis Samuel to get the ball, there are easy ways to do that. Either in the backfield, these screens, these yo-yo concepts, the, the jet motions, the orbit motions, whatever you want to call it. Like everything is slightly different and Scott Turner uses it all, you know? It's so much fun to watch Curtis when he's healthy and he's playing at a really, really high level right now. Um, I think like in their skill set, Jahan Dotson and Terry can win closer to the field. So I wouldn't be surprised if Scott makes up some of those intermediate targets for both because we obviously saw Jahan Dotson do that exceedingly well at Penn State too. Yeah, they, they got Terry McLaurin a couple underneath passes design-wise last week. But that's going to be the difference. If Terry McLaurin needs those plays or otherwise he will not come close to paying off of his ADP or if Curtis Samuel goes down. But right now it just can't be 15 yards downfield a dot for Terry McLaurin. This is not the matchup to take advantage. If you've never played pick them now is the perfect time to do so. Again, if you enter for the first time, you match your first deposit up to $100, whatever you put in, let's say you put in $10 for this, you hit your five pick them slip. Then you get to 20 X your money. That's, 200 bucks, not bad. Uh, I bring this up because if it's a six and a half point favorite on the road for the Philadelphia Eagles, Washington is going to be playing behind a 22 and a half receiving yards for JD McKissick while these other guys might be taken up the field. Look, I understand making and, and building pick them projections with JD McKissick might not be the best, but seeing him in 23 also makes my head twisted a little bit. Uh, that's not the worst thing. That I've seen out here and I can paint the narrative for this to happen. And I can't you see the narrative too? Like if we're going to have Curtis Samuel and he's covered too, then Jane McKissick is, is there for the checkdowns and the even pass routes that he might run in the short intermediate area too. So I will not be joining you on this Jane McKissick Hill. <laughs> Look, I said some outlandish stuff last week that you laughed at me in the same way, namely my Mike McDaniel comments. And then you said he's a better coach, a better coach, not play call. You said a better coach. I laughed at that because Harbaugh is and has been an elite coach for a very, very long time. But never a play caller. Yeah, well, you said coach, not play caller. And that's why I left. Some might say Mike McDaniel was the best coach, period, on that side of the ball <laughs> this enough. past Sunday. Okay. Cincinnati, no, 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 no. We're going to save that one. Who wants to talk about the Jets? No one. Saints at Panthers, up next. Saints are three-point favorites at home on the road, excuse me, 40 and a half total. The Panthers are 0-2 because they are dog shit. Um, Let's outline how bad the Panthers are at the first, okay? Carolina is averaging 8.4 yards to gain on their third down plays this season. That's the most in the league. Um, they can't get it going on first down despite trying to throw the ball on first down. They can't run the ball outside of five Baker Mayfield scrambles for 35 yards last week and then a 49-yard run by Christian McCaffrey. So this is a Saints defense that... Uh, has lost some pieces in the offseason, but it's a Panthers offense that like is trying to be something but don't have the right pieces for it as well. Hayden, I just see this entering like car crash territory for Ben McAdoo, Matt Rule, Baker Mayfield, and company. And I think Christian McCaffrey has to once again rely on a touchdown or 50-plus yard carry slash gain like he did last week. Yeah, it's such a weird offense because like just like big picture wise playing with pace, they're also 
passing the ball a lot and they don't have many tertiary options that you'd think that it would just be Christian McCaffrey season, but it hasn't happened yet. Obviously the saints matchup typically is not going to be uh, a great one. Last week, the saints played a lot of two man uh, cover two stuff um, on the back end. I don't have any good takes for the Panthers. Really? It's just been an offense. It's just been hard to watch. I think it's a, mostly a concepts thing, not like a, like an overall like offensive identity thing. Uh, they have been like weirdly like efficient running the ball, but they're just so bad when it comes to plays. They're bottom three in actual plays, and it's just... Because they can't sustain drives. They go yes, three and out all the time. They it's go just, three and out all the time. The only thing that I do want to bring up is Ben McAdoo, Matt Rule saying they want to get more wide receivers involved. If more wide receivers involved means that Robbie Anderson doesn't play 100% of the snaps. Anymore. I think that I think that was like looking at the Shy Smith yeah, 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 performance. Yeah. yeah. But something to keep in mind. Okay, let's talk about the Saints offense then because that's a little more interesting. Um, they're absorbing a lot of sacks and turnovers over the last two weeks. We saw Jameis Winston kind of get back to his self last week. And by back to his self, I mean throw the football oh, up. Yeah. And he was inaccurate passes down the field and interceptions. And really, like, when you think about it, Jameis has had, like, one good quarter through two games. You know, mm -hmm. it was like that one fourth quarter against the Falcons in the comeback. And the rest has been really bad. Um, Carolina's defense, despite these athletic pieces and they can be explosive. They haven't been great either. So who wins? Do we win as fans to watch this game? Well, it's it's all 11 personnel, which is kind of new for, for the Saints. And they are leading the league in air yards. It just comes down to, is Chris Olave actual regression candidate? Or was last week's performance kind of outlier-ish? Is Michael Thomas taking another step and like confirming himself? as a legit wide receiver too. And then as Jarvis Landry, that week one performance right now, you have three wide receivers all have reasonably good usage, but Jameis Winston has been so bad on a efficiency basis uh, right now. They're like bottom three in uh, EPA per, per play, actually dead last in offensive EPA per play on pass attempts. It, it's a very weird matchup because there, there's a, there's just way more talent than that. These teams yeah. like are actually playing to. I can see Alvin Kamara having a big game coming back from injury. Um, Panthers run defense still can't get off the field. It's really embarrassing. And I think there's enough blocking up front. Cesar Ruiz had an awesome game last weekend that uh, if they can move Derek Brown, if they can move whoever else the Panthers trot out there, because to me, Shaq Thompson does not look nearly as athletic as, as he used to. So yeah, Alvin Kamara to me is, is lining up for a spot. And I understand all the models are saying that Chris Olave had a lot of air yards last week. Look, I'm never going to second guess anyone that wants to play explosive big plays against the Panthers defense. Um, just going back and watching those, a lot of those air yards weren't really that close. And it's Jameis Winston air yards. Um, hey, really those, what has to happen? Go ahead. Those, I mean, those Jameis Winston air yards were pretty nice for Mike Evans and <laughs> uh, Chris Godwin. They were. And they Rashad were. Perriman at times. I, I think, I, I believe in the air yards. You know, like just the fact that they're going that downfield the problem is if the panthers aren't moving the ball themselves like there's going to be no reason for Jameis to be throwing the ball 50 yards downfield in these a lot of those were late in the game because the bucks Correct. were were in control of the game and the the saints weren't moving the ball on like a play-by-play -play basis so he's just slinging it downfield i'm not sure if this is going to be the matchup where it's going to be setting up like that you also get michael thomas against jc horn interesting scenario there really all that has to happen here Saints need to play downhill, like force Baker Mayfield to make plays. And that's it. It's basically been two big plays for this offense the entire year. 
for the Panthers. It's that 49-yard run for Christian McCaffrey, and it's a 75-yard touchdown for Robbie Anderson. And the rest has been wasted time by both of us talking about it. Next up, the Bengals at the Jets. Bengals five-point favorites on the road, total of 45. 0-2 versus 1-1 on one here. What's going on with the Bengals from your eyes? Like, what's the issue? And can it be fixed in this game? Because I'm banking on it being fixed against the New York Jets. Yeah, Bryce Rossler from Sports Info Solutions wrote something about the Bengals. Here's what he wrote. The Bengals have seen the most two high snaps against 101 of them of any team this season, and they have failed to punish defenses on the ground and force them out of those looks. Part of that has been... Uh, for lack of trying, they ran the ball into too high just 23% of the time, which is the second lowest rate in the league. And they also simply haven't done well on them. They averaged negative 0.19 EPA per carry into light boxes and a meager uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they don't use RPOs in those looks. And right now they have tendency issues. If the Bengals are in shotgun, they pass 87% of the time. If they're under center, they pass only 18% of the time. So it's just an offense that has major structural issues. Joe Burrow's taking way too many sacks. It's, I don't even think it's really been the offensive line. They're not perfect, but they're not like terrible. But the good news, the Jets, they don't play too high. You no, know? The number they, that I have, Hayden, is the Jets have played cover two yeah. on just 1.7% of their passing plays this yeah. season defensively. Yeah, I have them six in single high coverage. And on those uh, single high snaps, they're 28th in success rate. This, I mean, this is the week. Like all of these narratives about the Bengals, where the too high, all that stuff. Unless the defense completely changes for this matchup, we're back to it. The cover one, the cover three looks, and all of those issues where you're they haven't been getting any explosive plays could be self corrected this week, just because the Jets' defense doesn't match up, and the Jets' defense just in general hasn't looked very good. We have seen some teams change their ways to accommodate the strengths of the Bengals, like. I think the Cowboys did this last week where they jumped about 20 to 25% of their cover two snaps. Um, but when you're so low down there with the Jets being at 1.7%, that's just not their identity, you know? Right. And so when you have Jamar Chase against Sauce Gardner and you have Jamar Chase and T Higgins, let's not forget about T Higgins in your battle royales or whatever you're playing because he also has big playability. Again, what happened last season and what we've seen so far is Last year, whenever, and you went back and watched this, whenever they had single high looks, Joe Burrow immediately looked to the sideline and it was boom, big play to Jamar Chase, boom, big play to T. Higgins. And we thought this year that like, hey, they're expecting these cover two shells. They're going to have a game plan involved. And part of this was an improved offensive line. Now, I think in the first week when we have those three to four to five interceptions from Joe Burrow, it was him holding onto the football too long, and then just being confused by coverages. It's been this weird small sample, I think, through two games where he is double-clutching it, where he is trying to make too big of plays, where he is trying to force things that aren't there, along with offensive line miscommunications at times, and then those resulting in big plays for defenses. But I'm not going to attribute like all the sacks of the offensive line or all of that gelling. Meanwhile, Lyle Counts is also out of practice this week. I think it's just been all awful. It starts from here on out. It starts from here on out for the Bengals to get right. And uh, I'm banking on it with T Higgins having a big week too. I'm going to do something interesting. I'm going to see if you're going to let me do it. I'm going to do Benji of the week. I want Jamar Chase and T Higgins both over 100 yards. Both of them. I mean. I'm rich. 
man. I know Jamar Chase already projected for a bunch, but I want both of them going over 100. It's the perfect matchup for them to self-correct some of these issues. But I do think this is a basically a Zach Taylor issue and not anything else beyond that. Hmm. Okay. Jets end of this. Last week, we saw Garrett Wilson emerge as a fantastic premier player already as a rookie. On top of that, whenever you go back and watch Garrett Wilson, you see a lot of Elijah Moore open as well. He was earning targets on those, but both pairs were wide open. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals defense, while let's say Cooper Rush had a good week last week, I still think that they're a good unit. Like they're they're coached well. Um, it's also a different Joe Flacco, I think, in week one than we saw from week two. So what are your expectations for this Jets offense? Because I think a lot of people, when what happened to Garrett Wilson last week, when he put up 30 points on your bench, immediately put him into the starting lineup. Do you think he can even have 15 to 20 points this week? Well, I think the Bengals are going to score a bunch of points this week. And then I think it's going to be the same old, same old on the Jets side. And all this garbage time production, look at where the Jets are first in wide receiver fantasy usage this year by country mile, just because they uh, aren't running the ball all that much. And just the garbage time has been out of control right now per SIS. 71% of their pass snaps are short dropbacks. There's no big bootlegs or nothing like that. It's get the ball out immediately. And Joe Flacco, so much of his yards is just within five yards of line scrimmage, just dink and dunk, dink and dunk, dink and dunk. So I think that is actually a pretty good spot for Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. I'm very curious to see what the route participation up uh, is going to look like this week. Obviously, Garrett Wilson uh, played way more than Braxton Berrios. That was not the case in week one. I'm curious to see if that's going to be the same this week. If he's a 75% route player, I think that he's like a wide receiver three flex. I will say that Garrett Wilson is number one in wide receiver fantasy usage through the first two weeks. I do not even know how that's even possible because he hasn't been a full-time player, but I'll tell you why it's possible. No, it's possible because of how many looks he's gotten inside the 10 yard line. Like that, that's a big factor in your model, right? He Mm -hmm. leads the NFL and targets inside the 10 yard line. In fact, he has more targets inside the 10 than any other wide receiver tight end has in the red zone period. So So like that, that that's hugely impacting all of that. Um, now, if you think that both this pairing is fantastic, the risk team does not 44 and a half receiving yards projection for Garrett Wilson, 47 and a half projection for Elijah Moore. So I like Mike LaFleur to me, it all comes down to if the jets offensive line can hold up enough and allow Joe Flacco to attack these down the field portions, um, I understand like the hurt it has on your heart when you leave 30 points in your bench with Garrett Wilson. But I think we just outlined some uh, not extreme hesitancies, but while it may or may not hit here in week three, I have Elijah Moore 34th and Garrett Wilson 35th in my rankings right now. There you go. Okay. We're almost done with the one o'clock games and we'll get some better ones. This is like the get right section of the show. Cause next up it's the Las Vegas Raiders against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Raiders are two point favorites here on the road, a total of 45 and a half to me. It's as simple for the Raiders offensively as this Hayden, what Stefan Diggs just did to them, create an environment for Devonte Adams to do the exact same thing. He only had what less than 20 yards last week, but then we also saw in week one when he had 17 targets, let's funnel that and let's build the offense from there. 
I think Devontae Adams is going to go absolutely nuts this week. You know, the first in uh, neutral pass rate for the Raiders through 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 two weeks. Hunter Renfro's in the concussion protocol, probably not going to play this week either. So it's going to be all Darren Waller and all Devontae Adams. This is one of those teams using a fullback, using a second tight end. There's not that many other wide receivers in the route. And when it is a second wide receiver out there, it's Mac and Hollins. We know Devontae Adams is going to get the ball a ton here. So uh, one of like the DFS staples i think of the week it will certainly be Devonte adams yeah and we saw jake kumro roasting caleb farley against the tennessee titans so it's not, it's not even just that there's like a ton of injuries let me lots let, let me pull this up to to your point i am starting Derek carr over some other quarterbacks like russell wilson or, or tom brady and and, uh, and aaron Rodgers in other environments that he was drafted after this summer because I, I really believe that this is the game plan. This is the style of contest when your strengths that you have offensively should totally dominate the injuries, the issues the Titans have. Cause again, I believe it's also that Bud Dupree might be missing this contest. He did not yeah. practice on Friday. And after already missing Harold Landry from the preseason for the entire season, there's the best two edge rushers that the Titans have. Yeah. And yeah, Harold Landry and Bud Dupree, you have Elijah Molden, in their slot corner. He's on injured reserve. Uh, Ugo Amadi hasn't practiced this week. He's a slot corner as well. Christian Fulton's battling through an injury right now. Second round corner, Roger McCreary's on the outside. And then Trey Avery, an undrafted free agent rookie. He's been playing legit snaps at corner for the Titans this week. It is a completely decimated unit on the back half. This is going to be probably a pretty ridiculous game for Devontae Adams. Hey, let's flip this. The risk team. Because Derrick Henry is the entire conversation here for the Titans. When is it going to work and if it's going to work? 87 and a half rushing yards higher or lower for Derrick Henry. When this season, Hayden, he's had 25 and 82. Um, the Raiders, great strengths at the edge. Some weaknesses at defensive tackle. We mentioned that Andrew Billings is their starting defensive tackle right now. What say you? Can we get back on the big dog? Yeah, so Taylor Lewan, their left tackles out uh, this week, but the Raiders are also missing their safety, Trevon Morig and Denzel Pierman, their linebacker this week. So I think it's a kind of neutral off or uh, uh, matchup for Derek Henry himself. The point spread right now is within two. We shouldn't have too much neutral uh, or negative game scripts for Derek Henry. I thought that Derek Henry's looked pretty good just by himself, but like the offense is just so stagnant. It's a lot different when you're the safeties. And you have to worry about A.J. Brown on the back end versus Traylon Burks and Nick Westbrook Akine. So it's just an offense that just looks stuck in the mud. And I'm not sure if it's going to get fixed. But this is, I think, of all the weeks, this is a pretty reasonable Derrick Henry week, I think, in yep. general. Lots of buzz on Traylon Burks having great statistics on his isolated involvements. I would love to see those isolated involvements go to a full-time basis. You know, then I would get super excited. Like I want to see a game when he's playing 45 snaps a game where he's playing 51 snaps a game. I will bring this up. Chandler Jones had five sacks against these Tennessee Titans in week one of last season. And Taylor Lewan is unlikely to play obviously in this contest. And it's not just Chandler Jones that Ryan Tannehill and his offensive line has to deal with. It's also freaking Max Crosby. So I could see, so much dominance from both of these edge rushers from Chandler Jones and Max Crosby that again, it lowers the entire environment ceiling of Derrick Henry of Traylon Burks of, of everyone else. That's so different than the number one seed that they had in the AFC last year. And to me, that's the biggest difference year over year. 
I think Traylon Burks is like certainly a bench hold. Like he shouldn't yes. be on waivers. His role is growing 73% of routes, but it seems like Vrabel after the game said like, this is a wide receiver rotation for sure, because each one of them offer different things. It seems like pretty evident that Traylon Burks is still learning the offense uh, and 73% routes on a team that hasn't been very efficient passing the ball and that they run the ball in neutral situations more than they pass the ball in neutral situations. A lot have to go right for Traylon Burks. I just looked at the higher or lower in the pick and lump. It's 80 and a half receiving yards for Devontae Adams. Seven receptions. I, I thought it would be like 100.5. Seven receptions. Yeah. Y'all know what to do. Higher. Okay. One more game in the one o'clock window. It is the Texans at the Bears. We can't overlook this one. Hayden, 40 total. We can. The, the Bears as two and a half point favorites. Uh, I'll just go out and say it, Hayden. Is it dog? Absolutely. I'm picking the damn Houston Texans to upset the Chicago Bears because of this reason. The Bears look like dog shit. Justin Fields can't play right now. He's horrific. I know we can outline the skill players that they have around him. We can outline the offensive line, how that hasn't happened, and Luke Getze being in his third game as a play caller. When you have like one-on-one situations like Darno Mooney down the field and Justin Fields isn't hitting it. I think sometimes we need to microscope and pinpoint that this might also be a Justin Fields problem. And also, when you consider really their entire offense, passing-wise, has been built off big plays to Dante Pettis and Equinemia St. Brown. And then you have Lovey Smith, who has been a historian of the cover two and they're going to prevent these big plays down the field. I don't know from a drive-in and drive-out standpoint if Justin Fields is going to have the consistency to move this ball through the air. Yeah, 33% neutral pass rate. It's just it's such a unique offense. Um, yeah, I'm with you. They look really bad right now. It is it is weird, though, that the, the Bears are projected to score 21 points. Like, that's way more. It's like a touchdown more than, than they, they ever have. have. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like way, way, way different. So I'm kind of like conflicted. I have Justin Fields ranked pretty high because... I mean, like quarterback 15 or something like that. But I got a lot of comments. That's way too high for him. But Vegas believes that this will be a better, better week for the Bears. The the Texans defense, it's not that great still. So um, I'm just curious. They have to be passing more than 33% in neutral situations, even if I think David Montgomery looks yes. good. Like he looks yes. really people that tell me they, they think that he stinks, that he's bad. But I get this I, every single watching, show. Are you guys watching the games? Yeah, they're not. They somehow the backup running backs this year have morphed into the new backup quarterbacks at every single team where they're like the favorite of every single fan base because David Montgomery looks good. It's two to one every two David Montgomery drives and series. Then Khalil Herbert gets one the higher or lower for David Montgomery this week. The projection 68 and a half receiving yards. If the bears are going to make good on what the desert believes they are going to, it's going to flow through David Montgomery. Yeah. This is a big. This could be a big David Montgomery week. He's already the RB seventeen in usage, and they're favorites and at home, and the team total is a little bit higher than usual. So yeah, it's it's still the the two versus one with exactly. two drives, then one drive, two drives, and one drive. Hey, Texans end. Brandon Cooks projection sixty and a half receiving yards. Damian Pierce projection at seventy one and a half total yards from him. We saw the flipping completely happen last week with Damian Pierce. He's still like a shoestring away from a big play in each of those first two contests. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets it in this one. 
Yeah, I'm watching to see if Roquan Smith didn't practice the first two days, if that was just because of rest or something else uh, beyond that. Um, Texans, seventh and neutral pass rate, and definitely a little higher than I was expecting. I think that this could be a pretty good week for Brandon Cooks. Um, yeah, those are my only notes. Okay, four o'clock window, because this is another electric game. Speaking of the Chargers, Jaguars go to Los Angeles, 47 and a half total. The Chargers are favored by seven points here, Hayden. A couple injury notes. Back-to-back DNPs from Corey Lindsley, the team center for the Chargers. J.C. Jackson, who came in last week and didn't play that well. A limited, limited practice for Keenan Allen. Let's first talk about the Chargers offense versus the Jaguars defense. Because the last time out without Keenan Allen, and just overall, the team lacks some juice, some explosiveness. And because of that, they are still being limited to Justin Herbert's A dot, his average depth of throw of, of six yards. Meanwhile, Jacksonville's defense, feisty, athletic, explosive, should be a really fun matchup of these two sides of the ball. Yeah, Jaguars defense got some legit talent now. Both of their edge rushers look like pretty sweet. Um, some of their like free agent signs, like the defensive tackle was being pretty disruptive last week as well. Um, it just comes down to the health of Justin Herbert and, and Keenan Allen. I'm very curious to see what their uh, like the what the Schefter Saturday night uh, bomb looks like if Justin Herbert's like actually playing or if he's going to be super limited. It looked like he was really bad last week, but he's had a long week here. So it's really hard to tell uh, if everything is right for Justin Herbert. They are six in neutral pass rate, the third in neutral pace. Um, and that's how this team could really start clicking. Um, it really comes down to the health. I'm nervous if Corey Lindsay does miss this and mm-hmm. I don't want to go on like a five minute tangent. Then if he does end up playing, then this is pointless, but the Jaguars have so many rotational pieces up front. Obviously Josh Allen and, and Trayvon Walker are fantastic, but you throw in like Arden key who can rush off the interior Darwin Smoot, who can rush off the interior, a few other pieces that can really muddy things up fully. Fado Kasi, I believe is another player that they have yeah. too. Like if you have a new center in there, and it has to be a pure five to seven step drop and create downfield plays. Um, there's enough athletes that can win from a bunch of different align- alignments that can do some awesome twists and stunts that I think that that can set up, even though the Chargers are seven-point favorites, an environment for the Jaguars to keep this one competitive from start to finish, maybe create some big plays defensively too, some sacks, some turnovers, those types of things. That is, again, a narrative that allows them to to win this upset to create this upset yeah we the chats actually got this right uh they keep saying that the the line for the chargers game has has flipped i'm looking at it right now uh the team total was at like 27 and a half now for the chargers only 24 so we might have some news that justin herbert might not be good to go so we'll we'll cover all this up on sunday morning but that's pretty big yeah that is that is massive yeah it's dropped down to the chargers three and a half so not a total flip, but again, that's a that's a jump of three and a half points the last time that I checked it. Okay, then let's talk about the Jaguars end offensive because that is the thing that is is unchanged here. Um, when you think about Brandon Staley in this defense, since he started with them, it's to prevent big plays, and it's also figuring out how to stop run with good enough uh, pieces. Right? They weren't able to do that last year, but you know the additions of Khalil Mack and Sebastian Joseph Day, they've gotten better at it. Trevor Lawrence has also improved his ability to take what's given to him and not just, you know, throw into coverages and have haywire mistakes down the field. I'm excited for this matchup too. 
Yeah, the Chargers second in light box rate. So I think this is potentially setting up as a James Robinson week. I did find some very interesting data from Sports Info Solutions. It's been eight pitches or stretch runs for Travis Etienne to just one inside or outside zone carry for Travis Etienne. All the stuff is manufactured to get him up over in space. And then James Robinson's the inside zone, the outside zone. Whenever they go to the power looks, yep. he's going to be one. So this is like a good James Robinson game, especially if Justin Herbert's limited out or whatever it's going to be, uh, depending on the, what this uh, situation is. It's interesting because we talked about Patrick Mahomes facing Gus Bradley this week. It's the flippening for for Trevor Lawrence, who faced Gus Bradley last week, did awesome against that Colts defense. And now he gets Brandon Staley, who wants to live in the too high world. I'm with you on James Robinson. Um, he's been outstanding just as an individual talent. Like This is why, because he's succeeding so heavily on those inside runs, that they're going to keep these two different styles, these two different roles of the two backs out there. It might be a bit of a tell when it does happen, but they're thriving in those situations. Like Travis Etienne at any given week, he has enough juice to create a big play. It's just not enough opportunities for you to rely on him as a running back too. But look, maybe there's a Tony Pollard like situation where he gets on the edge and creates that big play in any given week. Because again, in week two in week one, he should have had those two touchdowns. And one final point, I think at this point last year, I would have been really concerned, not just the pieces that surrounded by um, Trevor Lawrence were so much worse in the coaching, but Trevor as an individual player against a defense like this. But then last week on throws of 2.5 seconds or less, Trevor Lawrence with 18 of 19 of last week. They're doing a bit of the horizontal stuff, you know, with mm-hmm. Zay Jones, with Christian Kirk. And it's not just all down the field that's let's creak our opponents. And that's going to really pay off against a defense like this. Yeah, go watch the stats versus film show. We did a breakdown on Christian Kirk. I think everything about this offense is basically maxing out this, the talent. They're putting all their players in the position that makes them the most effective. Rams at Cardinals. Rams are three and a half point favorites on the road. Total of 48 and a half here. If we were going to do a cover dogs, I would liken this one for the Rams. Because the only time we've really seen them like truly struggle was when they faced the Buffalo Bills, the best team in the league. Thursday night football kickoff and just absolutely got destroyed by, by Von Miller. And that took advantage of the major deficiency of this team, which is the Rams offensive line. Zach Allen coming out of Boston college, playing a really high level for the Arizona Cardinals. I know JJ Watt sprouted up a bit last week, but overall, like, I don't know if this Cardinals defense has enough pieces to make it a long afternoon for Matthew Stafford. And I think that this Rams offense is going to get in a real true flow against the Cardinals defense. I think this is a week to be starting Al Robinson and Matthew Stafford, uh, Arizona right now, they're first in blitz rate 41%, which is like, I don't even know what second place is, but I, I bet I would bet it's not near 41%. And last year against the blitz, uh, the Rams were first in success rate and first in EPA, uh, uh, per play. And then even when Arizona is using these blitzes, they're 27th in success rate against those looks. So everything about this is just saying man coverage, which uh, they're fourth in man coverage, Arizona, 26 in zone coverage. It's just going to be Matthew Stafford dealing. And I think that Allen Robinson, all the zones issues that we, we were talking about, I don't see him this week. Nope, not at all. And that they keep talking up Allen Robinson and want to get him more and more involved. It, it, it's going to happen this week. Uh, the Cardinals, not to continue the cloud that's over this organization right now. I tweeted this out. They've combined 
well, they're three top 100 picks this past April after trading their first rounder for Hollywood Brown. Trey McBride, Edge Cameron Thomas, and Edge Majai Sanders have combined for six snaps this season. <laughs> what, it's like they draft these guys and like these- don't want to play them. You know, it's like there's a disconnect from Steve Kime and Cliff, or it's just bad picks in in general. And we think the the Rams offense is definitely going to roll here. I can't say that about the Cardinals offense against the Rams because at least to me, when they really came together, it was the backfield football of Kyler Murray and Cliff hasn't built a backyard football style of offense from the first drive to the last drive yet for Kyler um, where you spread everything out, go four or five wide and then just allow Kyler to create plays. Because again, he just wants to keep Hollywood on the left. He wants Greg Dorch in the slot. He wants AJ Green on the right side and Zachert to do what he does down the middle. And then on top of this, Hayden, I think there are offensive line questions and you face two of the premier players where Aaron Donald, which you saw the bills focus their entire blocking scheme to stop. And then I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Ramsey plays closer to the football and plays more in the slot in this contest. Yeah. But that's like the big debate for Marquise Brown is it, is Jalen Ramsey going to shadow him? I don't think that he will. Um, Even if he does, I think that just because both of these offenses are top seven and neutral pace, I think that even if there is a bad individual matchup, that volume could just win out here. So Rondell Moore's out. James Connor's a game time decision last week, how uh, it went after James Connor left. We had Eno Benjamin playing some of the passing downs, as you can see, and then Daryl Williams getting the goal line touch and just playing kind of more of that early down role, kind of like James Connor and, and uh, Chase Edmonds last year. Um, I'm not sure if I'd be ranking any of either of them no. inside my top 30. Uh, this week, if James Connor's out, it sounds like they're going to put him through a uh, workout and then they're going to make an assessment. So too early to tell on James Connor. I think Marquise Brown, Zach- oh, Z- Zacherts, that's the that's the name we got to talk to. Play him. Top five, top five tight end. Yeah, the, vo- the sure. volume's insane right now. And I don't think anything's going to change until DeAndre Hopkins get back in, you know, the seventh game of the season. Uh, this might be thrown completely back in my face. I'm shocked that the Rams are only three and a half point favorites here. Like, I think that there are so many ways that they just steamroll this game. Like, I can see Aaron Donald taking over this game completely, completely dominating. And even when Kyler is creating on his own, because he was spectacular last week in that comeback, you have Aaron Donald to deal with, man. You have other athletes that can also move in and keep him contained. Hopefully. And we haven't seen one of those true deep shots of why they really traded for Hollywood Brown. Like he had that one catch on fourth and four last week that got down to the one yard line. That was 20 plus yards. It was also in a double coverage that he somehow caught. Yeah. You know, we haven't seen one of these beautiful two with a Tyreek, two with a Jalen Waddle deep shots. It's only been contested stuff. And it's because Cliff has no creativity, not a creative bone in his body. It's all, it's all underneath stuff, and that's why Zach Ertz is second in usage. Tyler Higby, first in usage. This is the tight end matchup. Pretty crazy. The tight end matchup that everyone knew they wanted back they're, in August. They're both top, top, top 10. I'm with you. I do hate that James Conner is like a quote-unquote true game-time decision heading into this one because it's a 4 o'clock window, but surely we'll get a Adam Schefter underdog underscore underscore NFL news alert when we wake up on uh, on Sunday morning or else I'm going to be really struggling with this James Conner stuff. Okay. Packers at Buccaneers. Two of the greats, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. All that we get is a measly total of 41 and a half in this contest. And I understand it, man. I understand it. Let's start with the Bucs offensively first. They can't pass the ball. 
They have no wide receivers. Mike Evans suspended. The dudes can't get open. And now they can't run the ball either. Offensive line issues. All of it. So this Packers offense or Packers defense was, you know, destroyed in week one against Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson isn't walking through that door with the Bucs offense this week. Yeah, the it looks really bad. Uh, it's going to be like Scotty Miller and Brashad Perriman getting legit snaps. I think what this game is going to turn into is it's going to be the Leonard Fournette game. I If I hadn't put uh, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase as my Benji of the week, Leonard Fournette would have been mine this week. Right now, the Packers have one, stat, one snap with a, a stacked box. They're third and two high shells. This is a team that's historically been giving up uh, points on, on the ground here. So I think everything about this is just going to be big Lenny trying to work his way through. This is an offense that has some issues right now. They're 25th in neutral pass rate. It just looks like a totally different offense. I think some of it's because the wide receivers don't look as good. The offensive line certainly doesn't look as good. It seems maybe like Todd Bowles has a little bit of his, his finger on the pulse here. So um, I think right now it's Leonard Fournette, like 87% snaps last week. Rashad White didn't look great on his couple snaps. So I think it's just going to be Lenny, Lenny, Lenny. So I've combined some information from Rich Rebar. So that's the stats. And then Nate Tice, who's talked about this stuff on the athletic football show this week. So for the stats, 26.2% of Tom Brady's pass attempts have come on first down. That's the lowest rate in the league. So he's not throwing nearly as much as he did last year on first down, but at the same time running the ball, 16.9% of Tampa Bay's rushing attempts have resulted in a first down or a touchdown. That's 29th in the league. That's awful. And a reason for this, as Nate mentioned is this team wants to live in 11 personnel. 11 personnel last season was Chris Godwin as a big slot player, along with Rob Gronkowski as the tight end. Um, that helps you because when you run duo, you have a tight end and a wide receiver that are legit strengths as blockers. This week, we truly might see Cole freaking Beasley as the slot wide receiver who can't block. You know, like. I think Lenny might get 22 carries or 25 touches for 80 total yards. You know, I think that's my, my biggest fear. No doubt that they go in that direction and hammer that, but he doesn't have the speed to get out to the edge, obviously. And then down the middle, like the Packers do have, I think enough beef in comparison. Meanwhile, Donovan Smith sounds like he's going to play in this game um, that I don't think like on the periphery, of the tight end and of the wide receiver that they have enough blocking production, enough blocking skill to be as successful as they were in these situations last year. That's my biggest fear. They're just so light in the box over the Packers though. You know, yeah. like they're just typically like one under or even. And like, that's why teams choose to run on the Packers historically. And we're seeing it still in the, the first two weeks, the trends are still that way. So um, even if we have some concerns with the efficiency, I still think Lenny's going to get it. All, all all, the carries and uh, Julio Jones, a true game time decision here. Uh, I, I think my theory with Russell Gage is he's been on, he's been limited in practice with a hamstring injury the entire season. I wonder if he's just like not fully healthy because he hasn't looked good. His ADOT's like two yards downfield. It's they can't stretch vertically right now, except for Mike Evans and Julio downfield. So um, they need either Rashad Perriman or Scotty Miller to step up here in those situations. But I think this is going to be an ugly game, like quietly, very, very ugly game. And that's why the, the team totals I got 21 and 20. Yeah. And let me stress this. I'm not saying like, Hey, don't play Leonard Fournette as you're running back two or you're running back one play Leonard Fournette this week. I just wouldn't be surprised if the volume has to get there in order for him to, uh, to have production. Okay. Let's, let's flip this from 
the Packers offense to the Bucks defense because I was actually really enthused by Al Lazard last week when he ran a pass route on 90% of the team's dropbacks while no other wide receiver ran a route on 66% of the team's dropbacks. So whatever Al Lazard's peak is, hopefully we get that at some point when healthy, but he truly is the number one pass catcher on this team. But in the day, this comes down to the rushing attack. And while Vita Vea might not play, be playing this elite football down the middle like he has been for the past two seasons for the Bucks, what they do have is speed in droves. And so all of this edge rushing that we love from Aaron Jones might be more difficult to hit against this Todd Bowles-led defense. Yeah, I think that like the big thing for the Packers offense is the wide receiver health. Um, Alan Lazard came back on Friday to practice. I think Sammy Watkins might miss this game. Uh, LaFleur said that uh, Romeo Dubs is going to have uh, more opportunities this week. But right now, this is like just a kind of gimmicky offense, which is, I think, like a credit to LaFleur for for trying to figure this out. But they're first in RPOs, second in screens. The traditional passing concepts just aren't there, probably because they've had tackle issues and wide receiver issues. But I think Alan Lazard is going to ha- provide some semblance of a traditional passing offense. Uh, the problem is the Bucks defense still looks really good. Their secondary so good. is making some J- Jamil Dean made one of the best plays I'd seen uh, way downfield for an interception, just coming off the ball. Uh, so much speed back there. It's, it's a great, it's a great defense. They've given up one touchdown this season. The Bucks defense has wow. One touchdown through two games. It's, Again, they've got so much speed at linebacker, at safety, at cornerback, at every single level. Depth you know? at edge now, yeah. So, like, A.J. Dillon up the middle, we know that that's going to happen. We can also get him involved in the receiving game. But again, this is, like, who the Packers are offensively now. It's these two back sets, especially if Christian Watson misses. You know, that's something I want to keep my eye on after we saw in week one where Aaron Jones was the motion man. Is he going to go back to that um, a bit more often? So, okay. One more contest here in the four o'clock window. That is the Atlanta Falcons against the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks are one and a half point favorites here. Um, I'll just simply say this, Hayden. I think the Falcons strikes beat the Seahawks strengths in this contest. What do you think? Underdog of the week. Let's hit it. Oh, I almost picked this one too, but you is a dog. Absolutely. Hit on me. I mean, this is just like, crazy like the seahawks have never played a normal game the falcons have never played a normal game like let's 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 see what happens here uh i am with you it is oh i believe i'm cutting out no you're good keep talking okay uh yeah the the falcons are a, a pass or a run first team right now they're 30th in neutral pass rate um but i think that kyle pitts still it's like getting the usage that we we want went back and watched it he's still isolated a ton he's getting downfield looks he drew a defensive passing interference i think all of it's going to self-correct this is going to be a very slow paced game in general but i think that drake london kyle pitts cpat are gonna be able to do just enough uh the seahawks defense obviously missing jamal adams on the back end this won't be a pretty game um i'm expecting chaos here but i think that Marcus Mariota looks all right. And I think Geno Smith to a certain degree looks all right too. Um, but quietly the Falcons offensive line just been playing better than the Seahawks. Yeah. I thought the Seahawks offense kind of came crashing down to earth last week with Geno. And even that first game against the Broncos, like he made some fun plays out of structure, but I don't know if there was like a real offensive identity in there that we can I'll latch check onto. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there is like a real Falcons offensive identity here, you know, like, 
Drake London, his movement, his alignment, his usage. There's a plan for Kyle Pitts, even though it hasn't necessarily hit yet. Would love a little bit more of those Drake London targets to go in the direction of Kyle Pitts. But we outlined the stats versus film show how he is kind of like clearing out some of the coverage for Drake London to thrive, especially near the goal line. Um, and I could see some big plays from CPAT too, man. Like I can really see mm-hmm. some big plays from CPAT, even if it's a rotation. I'm glad we got to know that a little bit last week where when Damian Williams went down, it was pretty clear that it was going to be rotation week one. And then they just had to rely on CPAT last week. Tyler Algier looked very pedestrian from my eyes, but yes. they are going to continue to rotate that, that backfield. Again, I just think that Falcons understand who they are more so than the Seahawks of who they are. And the Falcon side of that equation wins. Just going back to the Falcons, only 20% of their snaps have came in 11 personnel, which I would view as a win for Kyle Pitts. So uh, I, I just don't think that Drake London is going to have, what, a 40% target share, and Kyle Pitts is going to have a 20. Like That's gonna, just going to even out long term. So uh, I want to freak out over the Kyle Pitts stuff. He's still being used downfield in isolation. You don't just don't see tight ends get used like that. So this might be the lowest pick and projection of the rest of the season with Kyle Pitts at 47 and a half receiving yards for his higher lower. Again, if you have never played Pickham, this is the perfect weekend to do it. And this is kind of the perfect player to do it on because these projections are based on former results, on former production that he's had. And if you think that this is the style of game that he goes off and hit that higher, again, we will match your first deposit up to $100. And look, in the Texans game, in this game, Falcons and Seahawks pick them is what you need to get through it. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Okay. Two primetime games and we'll get out of here. Let's start off first with the 49ers at the Buccaneers. I'm excited for this one, man. No, 49ers at the Broncos. 41 and a half. 49ers on the road with Jimmy Garoppolo. One half point favorites. Both teams are one and one. Some might say, what is dead may never die, Hayden, because, well, you wouldn't know this because you don't watch Game of Thrones. Uh, Jimmy's back at quarterback. Russell Wilson is still throwing outside the numbers and down the field, and it's all happening in primetime, right? Um, What do you think a 49ers offense is going to do against a Denver Broncos defense, a defense that has been, I would say, up and down as we just outlined in their game against the Seahawks because all this coaching staff is still very young and very raw. Yeah, it's still like the classic Broncos, like structure defensive wise, only five snaps and single high coverage. Their first in two high coverage, which I guess goes into the 49ers strengths, uh, rushing the ball. Uh, all eyes on George Kittle and his like legit status. I think he's going to play, but to what extent he's been limited to start the week. I'm not going to be ranking him as if he's fully healthy. Um and because, let's be honest, his on-off splits when both Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel are cooking are not the same as peak George Kittle. They're not even close, to be honest. So uh, that's just going to be the thing. It, right now, I think Jeff Wilson is a great play just because TDP's out. Obviously, Elijah Mitchell's out. They're probably going to what bring up Marlon Mack here, but it's just going to be all Jeff Wilson and Debo Samuel. The game's supposed to be close. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a super exciting game. Uh, like in terms of points, but it's going to be the same old stuff. Brandon Ayuk on the outside. It's going to be a little bit harder to have the explosive plays if they're going to be in these two high shells. And if they are in these two high shells, I think this could just be like a lot of Debo Samuel and Jeff Wilson carries up the middle. So this is the Broncos defensive coordinators third game as a play caller in the league. It's his first year as, you know, having a whole unit to himself. Uh, Now he gets Kyle Shanahan, you know, I think Kyle, 
with Jimmy back in the fold knows he'll get some and create some awesome creative either passes over the middle. We saw some creative passes out wide last week for Jimmy and maybe most notably how to create explosives for Debo and for Bray Nayuk in this game. Like Debo still this team's best edge rusher. You know, he's still this team's best edge runner. And I know the total is only at 41 and a half. Um, I'm heavily on the 49ers end of this. And Hayden, I think part of that is because I'm worried about how the Broncos offense matches up with the 49ers defense. You know, like there's likely no Jerry Judy in this contest. Russell Wilson talked about some of these quarterbacks changing throughout the league. He has not changed, man. Just 27% of his passes have been between the numbers this season. That's the lowest rate in the league. That's according to Rich Rebar. And can the Broncos run on the 49ers front? I don't think so. So like, where is the offensive consistency going to come from against a super explosive, super well coached and a playmaking unit that the 49ers have defensively? Broncos are super weird. They are fifth in EPA per pass right now. It's just, they haven't been able to finish drives. And then all of like the the coaching stuff, like the decision-making, the fourth downs, all that nonsense has been so bad. Uh, but Corlin Sutton's still been effective on the outside. I'm not sure if Jerry Jones or Jerry Judy is going to actually be able to play this week. Same thing. KJ Hamler has been limited, uh, played the first week, didn't play the second week. I think that he's still really nursing a very severe knee and hip injury. So I have Cortland Sun ranked very aggressively, even if the matchup doesn't look good on paper. I just think by necessity, he's like their basically only functional uh, pass game option right now. So uh, I have Cortland Sun ranked very high. Pick him, Lobby. Debo Samuel, 32 and a half rushing yards. Let's go. Let's roll with it. Do you ever find a lower? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I do take lowers. Okay, let's close it out with the Cowboys at the Giants. Oh, Monday Night Football. 39 total in this game. Giants are one-point favorites. Actually, on paper, it's 1-1 one one versus 2-0, and o, but who cares? Um, so, the Giants have somehow won their two games with Daniel Jones making, like, just enough plays towards the ends of these contests. But the best player in this game on both sides is Micah Parsons. And I think he will be the one that takes over this game in the second half or heck, even the first half that forces someone like Daniel Jones on a collapsed pocket to make the mistakes that so far this season through two games, he really hasn't made as often as he has in previous previous years. Yeah. And they don't want to play their best wide receivers. So it's just kind of, (laughs) it's just, it's an offense. That's just, I mean, what are we, what are we really doing here? Uh, it is interesting just because this is like we've said this a couple times, but the more data we get, the more convinced we should be. The Giants are not like the Bills offense at no. all right now. They're 24th in neutral pass rate. Uh, they're choosing to run uh, in, into light boxes at the fourth highest rate in the league. That's why Saquon Barkley's getting the usage that he's getting here. But we don't know what to do with the wide receivers because we never know if Kadarius Tony's going to get more playing time. It's still going to be David Sills and Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard's been uh, not practicing as much. He's coming back from his Achilles injury. Kenny Galladay's he two snaps. It's just so hard to figure out what the Giants are doing on offense aside from Saquon Barkley. And then obviously, like you said, Micah Parsons has been an absolute madman. Dude. So it's it's not a good matchup for Daniel Jones. The way that he moves in terms of not just getting defensive ends, but also defensive tackles and centers at times when he loops inside Mm -hmm. and all of them being like, I've never faced a guy like this and he runs at full speed and then bends in that way too. It's, it's unlike anything that I've seen. Um, 
it's truly unlike anything I've seen. Okay. Now on the Dallas offensive end, Cooper rushed through for 235 yards last week. It kind of sounds like we'd also get Michael Gallup back yep. this contest because he's practicing in full um, excitement level. Like a two and a half or a three? <laughs> yeah. He, well, he's going to play, but they already said he's not going to play too much. So, yeah, you, you can't start Michael Gallup this week with Cooper okay. Rush. Can you start anyone? Can you start anyone on Dallas? I mean, you're starting Zeke. How do you feel about are someone you, like CeeDee Lamb? But like, like, are, like, you don't have to start Zeke. Yeah, I know. And what happened last week with the Panthers? Again, I know that they rushed for 136 yards. Thank you, Matt Rule. But... That was the one run of 49 yards was when Leonard Williams, I believe, left the mm-hmm. play before. And then, boom, Just big play. Dexter yeah. Lawrence is playing fantastic football. Um, I don't know. Like, this is a Monday night game. I feel like Cooper Rush played well enough against a really good de- – not a really good defense, a above-average defense in the Cincinnati Bengals that we should probably – I should probably be giving him a bit more credit here than I did. Um, but I also think it's the type of quarterback play – that can crumble at any moment. I will add, it sounds like for the first time this season, you're going to get maybe the combination of both Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon yep. Thibodeau coming back for this contest. And yep. that could be a huge help for the Giants defense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always so shocking to see the Giants. Like right now, they are second in man coverage, first in single high. And like traditionally, like the last couple of years, it's been the exact opposite, but that's classic wink over there. So um, CD lamb against man coverage. We'll see if he can do it this week. It's been pretty frustrating, but um, I think CD lambs like a wide receiver three with a little bit of upside. Um, I think the matchup for him individually is pretty good. Uh, but like Vegas says, this should be a pretty low scoring game in general. All right, go play battle Royale. If you haven't done it yet, there's $50,000 to first place, I believe, Hayden. Yep. Battle Royale, if you play DFS, try Battle Royale because it's only five other people in your draft. There are no just 1v1s versus 2v2s. Everyone has the same core and structure of their lineup. It's a draft, man. And if you have that one player that you think is better than anyone else and you have your eye on, like, let's say, Juju or Gabriel Davis, he's not drafting the vast majority of these Battle Royale leagues out there. So I think there's some real edges that people can go and find it's a $5 entry. And again, the first prize gets 50,000. The second prize gets 20 K. The link is in the description down below. I think it's like the uncovered gem for these football contests that people play week in and week out on underdog. There's no optimizers and the prize pools growing. So it's, it's like the best DFS game. Um, and I will be doing battle Royale content for the rest of the season. Uh, go on to the underdog network to find that I might do some videos. I'm definitely going to do some rankings and some strategy. Like Josh said, basically what happens is there's default rankings. And since uh, you only have to start one tight end, the top four tight ends get drafted hundred percent of the time, tight ends five, six, and seven get drafted 25% of the time. If you draft the tight end nine or something like that, they're the low drafted player. So lots of game theory, obviously we're stacking, obviously we're going for the correlation. We're grinding the matchups, all that stuff. But right now, I think it's a great DFS game, tons of strategy, and you don't, you're not competing against optimizers. This is hand in the dirt, getting to a snake draft. It's it's really cool. Okay, a couple more things. As you know, Sunday morning, start, sit, show, nine or 10.30 Eastern. You can leave a voicemail down below. We play those. It's so much fun. We have a great time with all of you. There's like 550 people watching this right now. Before you exit, make sure you're subscribed. 
hit thumbs up. Go and watch the really informative videos that we have from the rest of the week versus this one that we just make off the cuff. Stats versus film. That's the one. That is the one. And we can't wait to have that instant reaction show on Sunday evening as well. Appreciate everyone tuning in. You, Scott, you, Reagan, you're Mike, you, John, and you, Stephen. People after this leave comments down below. You answer each other's start set questions. It's really, really cool to see the community helping each other. And we're having a great time talking with all of you. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the villa. We will talk to you all soon. See ya.